take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we reflect upon Paul's teachings on the Lord's Supper, and in many ways, fill in some blanks for you as to the letter as a whole. And some of the things that Paul says when he gets to this particular text and context in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Read a lengthy passage of Scripture. Follow along, please, as we begin in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. Paul said, I will not. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and then, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment and about the other things I will give direction when I come. Heavenly Father, we pray that You might bless the reading of Your Word. I pray that You might give us clarity as we address some of the things that Paul says. And I pray that it would reveal some of the challenges that evangelicalism and conservatives face today as they gather together for worship. And I pray that you might remind us of the importance of this celebration, a reminder of those things that matter most, and of the necessity that when we gather together like this, there will be a communion of the saints, there will be a a bond that is impressed upon us through Christ alone. Pray that our unity might be found in Christ. Pray that our unity might be grounded in Your Word. I pray that our unity would be that which 
binds us together, not drives us apart. And I pray that even as you purge your church, even as we live in these last tumultuous trying times, that we might cling to the gospel, that we might cling to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. We might cling to our faith that is in Christ alone, by, by grace alone. We would cling to the hope and the promise of everlasting life that is found in Christ alone, that we might cling to the notion that a better day is coming, and at the sound of the trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will be gathered together, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. May it be that gospel that sustains us in difficult times. May it be that gospel that brings us together in unity. May it be that gospel, an undeviated gospel, that is the power of hope to a world that is lost, and an antidote to much of what's taking place in our culture today. But may we never forget that it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, that we receive these promises. So when we sit at the table together this morning, remind us of what matters most. May everything that we say and do, from our personal lives to our corporate ministry, be glorifying to You alone. May we lift the name of Jesus, the wonderful, merciful Savior, as we celebrate today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we reflect upon the truth of this passage and address this act of gathering together for a time of remembrance. I want to walk you through the book of 1 Corinthians and reflect upon a number of things that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that in many ways are significantly parallel to our culture today and even to the church today. A couple of weeks ago, I spent a week in Louisville, Kentucky at a pastor's conference. The conference was all about the gospel and the justification by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone to the glory of God alone being the number one message of the church and of first importance, the very thing that binds us together. But as these pastors and minister leaders gathered together, it was the last in these series of meetings for this conference, because quite frankly, they weren't together. Evangelicalism and even conservative churches today are facing some of the same dilemmas that we face and experience in our culture at large. And there are factions, and there are divisions, and there are misconceptions and misconstruals. And the elephant in the room that was addressed by a couple of the speakers was the reality that we've lost focus on the thing that matters most. We are together for the gospel. As I was reminded of that and looked upon our culture, listened to some of these breakout panel discussions, we are not immune from some of the tensions and the divisions and the conflicts that exist in our world today. Truth is, it used to be said that the church is 20 years behind the culture, but I think we've caught up significantly over the last number of years. And there are any number of things that will divide us. There are any number of things that will get us off track. There are any number of things that might trip us up in our focus 
on the truth, a truth that sets us free. I don't want to address this through the book of 1 Corinthians, but I want you to know there's no agenda this morning. I'm not dealing with one particular topic or issue. I'm not dealing with the corporate body at First Baptist alone, although we have our challenges. I'm looking at conservative Christianity across the board and how it seems to be splintering just like the culture is splintering before our very eyes. As we reflect upon that, there are some important things that we can glean as Paul writes to the church at Corinth. But as we address this communion table or the table of the Lord's Supper, we must first give recognition that there's tribulation, tribalism, and truth that really are critically important when it comes to coming together as one body with one Lord, the table of communion. Increasingly in our culture today, the conservative church, sometimes from the not-so-conservative wing of the church, I would even have to say sometimes those masquerading as the church, are challenging us to, to capitulate on key truths of Scripture, to compromise, to soften our stance, to somehow come to the place of, of, of doing church and the gospel and making it a little bit more palatable for the sinners among us. Pay close attention. The gospel will never be palatable for the sinners among us because they've refused to recognize their sin. And Paul warns us that the gospel is offensive to those who do not believe. But you've seen it. Capitulation on the sanctity of marriage, capitulation on human identity, sex, and gender, an attack against parental authority. That subtle shift is perhaps one of the most evil shifts today, that somehow the leaders in our culture believe your children belong to them. Go back to the book. Fathers, train up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The descent is strong and it's great, and it leaks into the church sometimes, and the same political polarization even takes place within the church, and, and we have believers after each other on some things that are trivial in nature, or even worse, undermine the gospel. Recently, in the news, and people on both sides of the aisle are a little taken back by this, was the announcement that the Department of Homeland Security has created a disinformation governance board. I'm not going to speak to the political ramifications in the First Amendment, pretty simple to me. What I'm trying to make you aware of is this is the first volley in the silencing of our online presence, the first volley in coming after and silencing the dissenters when it comes to the sanctity of marriage, I will not be silent. When it comes to created essence, male and female created he them, I will not be silent. When it comes to ethics and morality, I will not be silent. The Bible speaks to those things. When it comes to families, I will not be silent. It is a mom and a dad who hold responsibility in the eyes of God to train their children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We cannot be silent in spite of this intimidation to be so. 
You say, well, it's not coming after us, only social media. It's coming after us. It's getting harder and harder to take a stand. But what grieves me, it's becoming harder and harder to take that stand, even amongst those who claim the name of Christ, and that tells me something is terribly wrong in the body. Paul, as he addresses the church at Corinth, addresses some of these issues. But there's a tribalism, a division, a schism in the church at Corinth that is so critically real in our culture, and I believe the church even today. Tribalism is the behavior and attitudes that stem from a strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. And why is tribalism such a cancerous thing in the church today? Because our identity is not in our tribe. It is not in the color of our skin. It is not in our sex and gender. Our, our, our unity is in the fact that we are created in the image of God and saved by the blood of Christ. No Jew, nor free, or bond. Or Listen, we, we are in this and bound together through the body of Jesus Christ, and we must fight this tribalism that reared its head at this conference that is, in my opinion, representative of much of Christianity today. The conservatives are growing smaller and smaller, and by conservatives, I'm not talking about political conservatives, although if you embrace the Scripture, you will be political when it comes, or, or conservative when it comes to the family and the sanctity of marriage and etc. I'm talking about the simple things that, that, that the Scriptures speak that, that are non-negotiable. When we begin to exalt the tribe, our particular beliefs, our particular understandings over Christ over truth and over other believers, we have fallen into the same trap of the culture. And that's real. It's here. It's been here. It's a problem that we must address. I know what some of you are thinking, at least I suspect. Yeah, but Pastor Jim, you're kind of tribal when you say there's only one way for marriage. That's not tribal. That's biblical. We can't apologize for that. See, when it comes to dividing these things that divide the church, when it comes to discerning these things that get in the way of our unity and this, this table of unity and the, and the communion of the saints around the table, there are first-level theological issues that are non-negotiable. They are, thus saith the Lord, and they are so perspicuous there is no debate about it. From the beginning, male and female created He them. He didn't make a mistake. It remains that way today, and we must be unapologetic about that. It is a thus saith the Lord kind of principle. We must never cave or never doubt some of the most essential critical elements of the faith, the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith alone. Works cannot save. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And what we cannot and must not do as we gather together is to compromise the first-level theological issues or the authority of Scripture. For Scripture was written by men superintended by the Holy Spirit of God to communicate to all mankind God's plan for the universe. 
and it doesn't change with time, and it doesn't change with culture, and it doesn't change with anything else. There are first-order issues that are so plain and so clear, they are non-negotiable. That's what binds us together as God's people. There are second-level issues, and those issues may not be the most critical issues, but they do bring some divide, if you would how someone celebrates baptism, what mode of baptism is the biblical mode, how one celebrates and understands this table of remembrance. From our perspective, we think this is only that, a table of remembrance. It's not that you get some spiritual value by ingesting the juice or the cracker. We believe the value is to remind us of our identity in Christ and bind us together as God's people. There are different views on that. And every church has their unique doctrinal statement. But in these second-level issues, we really can't have fellowship or gather together for worship when there's grave differences on those issues. There is an issue of first level, thus saith the Lord, and then second level, we have gathered together as members of this church because of the, the, the saving work of Jesus Christ, and we believe these things. They're in our documents. It's what we agree upon. It's, it's where, where we live. It's what binds us together. When that ceases to bind you together, instead of creating tribalism, you must ask yourself, is this where we belong? People say, well, that's harsh. No, that's critical for unity. There's got to be things that we can say, here's where we stand. And we can still have fellowship individually with people who don't stand in the same place, who are under the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't do local church with them because they're important, important issues. They're, they're issues that divide. Then there's these third order issues that have plagued the church historically and even in my lifetime. These third-order issues are issues that we all might disagree on, but at the end of the day, nobody's sure and does it really matter. Such things as music and movie and dress. Yes, I have a tie on today. That's not because that's a conviction. And somehow we've inverted this, and those things become first-order issues. And when they become first-order issues, our first-order issues, rightly so, become second- or third-order issues. And all of a sudden, we've lost our way, and we're lining up under all of these tribes based on these issues. I would hope and pray that many of you are past that. When it comes to music… You will glorify your God regardless of the genre or the style of the music, focusing upon the words and understanding those words represent what we believe and what we know to be true and what we celebrate. So there is a truth, and it cannot be compromised. There are secondary truths that bind us together, and then there's some things that just aren't worth it anymore. But no way, in no way can we compromise the gospel. So here's how Paul addresses that, because we think that some of this tribalism and division is just, uh, just recently. Let's go back to Corinth. This is not recent. It has always plagued the church. In fact, the church has always experienced various fractures. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll quickly go through this, 
verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Good luck, Paul. (laughs) Sit in my seat. Good luck that all of you agree. And there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, that you, that you would think clearly alike about the Scriptures, that you would think discerningly about things in the same manner because of those Scriptures. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Paul ends that section by saying, is Christ divided? Some of you think this is a contemporary issue. The church has always lived in great harmony and unity. Just a glimpse back at one of the early churches in Corinth. Wherever people are gathered, there's going to be problems. Wherever people are gathered, there's going to be this tendency towards tribalism. Paul's calling them back to the right things for the right reasons. He's calling them back to the Scriptures and discernment and, and, and thinking alike on those first-level and second-level kind of Scriptures and addressing the fractures that are there. All of this in anticipation, of course, of what he's going to say, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is trying to, to get the Corinthian church back on track, and he does it by calling out some weaknesses and calling them back to truth. In chapter 1, verse 26, Paul reminds them, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful, and not many were of of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. So, what is our boast, Paul? He says, if we're going to boast in anything, let it be Jesus Christ. He's talking about the centrality of the gospel as being a solution to some of the conflicts and the struggles that they were having in Corinth, some of the tribalism of, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm Christ. We must boast in Christ alone. We must boast in the gospel that binds us together. We must boast in the grace and the mercy that only comes through Christ that grants us peace. If you flip over to chapter 3 in the book of 1 Corinthians, he continues this theme of addressing some of the divisions in the church. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh or fleshly acting kind of people, infants in Christ. That's not a compliment. He says, you're acting like a bunch of babies. I'm going to have to treat you like unlearned children and and babies. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Not because they weren't ready, because they weren't following and they weren't listening and they fell into this tribalism and division. And even now you are not ready, for you're still in the flesh. You are still operating on your own thoughts and your own wishes and your own desires and your own truth. In essence, Paul's saying, what do you mean your own truth? Nobody has their own truth. There's truth and there's error, particularly in the church. No own truth. It is the gospel of Christ alone. But because they're living fleshly lives, 
There's jealousy and strife among you. You're not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? When you've been rescued from that individual selfishness, that you've been called unto God, and that you're put together in this body according to the plan of God, verse 9, and we are fellow workers, God's building, God's, God's field. One of the reasons that they were fleshly and not spiritual is because they weren't gleaning their truth or understanding the truth as to how to live in that city of Corinth from the Scripture. It was all based on their flesh and what they liked and what they didn't like and what they wanted and what they didn't want, and it was very subjective and and internal, and it is so much 2022, and the radical individualism of our culture that in many ways has drifted in to the church of God, and Paul says, wait a second, stop being babies, stop being immature. Stop being biblically illiterate and undiscerning. What does the Bible have to say about your behavior? And how are we to address this this division and disunity according to the Scripture? And he gets very specific after this in dealing with specific matters that in times create this division and disunity that must be addressed in a distinctly biblical way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, one of those first issues is that the believers there were taking each other to court. And he says, wait a second. In your unity in Christ under the gospel of Jesus Christ, why are you going to the unbelieving world to settle your disputes? Why can't you settle those yourself? Why can't you settle those within the body? Why can't you settle those disputes under the authority of Scripture? Why are you going to the world for those kinds of things? So now he is practically teaching them how to grow up and addressing some of those divisions that became so great that they were suing each other. Who thought? The church at Corinth was, or the city of Corinth was a litigious city, so much like our culture today. Paul said, no, there's nothing, nothing right about that. Because of the bond that we have in Christ and because of the Holy Spirit, we ought to be able to resolve these things and, and not look to the world. Chapter 7, he deals with principles of marriage. You would think they would have gotten this right. You would think that even from the beginning, they would understand the sanctity of marriage, but there were a lot of different views there. Paul said, here's the truth. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, here's the truth. He said, I'm not interested in your opinion. I'm not interested in what you think about this. This is what the Scripture says. And in chapter 7, he he deals with some of those disputes about the sanctity of marriage, and he clears them up. Some of the things that he says are hard to understand. Some of the things that he says are really hard to reconcile in the city of Corinth, let alone modern Western Hemisphere living. But he makes it very clear the marriage is ordained of God and their rules. You can't, can't break the rules. And, and he explains that to them. In chapter 8, there is a dispute about judging each other. So as this tribalism took place in the city of Corinth, and, and someone was on the left side, I like this music, and someone was on the right, I like this kind of music, they, they kind of made each other enemies. And Paul said, I, I don't get any of this. One of the issues in Corinth was about eating meat that was offered to idols. 
Well, these idol temples in Corinth, they would sacrifice animals, and then they would take them to the marketplace, and believers would go, and they would buy that meat in the marketplace, maybe knowing that it was sacrificed to an idol, or maybe not knowing it was sacrificed to an idol, and it became a really big deal. There were those on the legalistic side that said, you can't, you, you can't eat that meat that was sacrificed to idols. Paul said, idols are nothing. They're nothing. To those who said, we could eat whatever we want, Paul said, no, wait a second. We don't want to be offensive to the rest of the body. So in very practical matters, and by the way, eating meat sacrificed to idols is a a third-level kind of issue. And Paul eventually says, do what your conscience tells you to do. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians. But these are the kind of things that divide. So in this church where they were all brought under the identity of Christ, in this church where they were instructed by the apostles, in this church where where they claimed to be of one mind and of one unity, there was all kinds of tribalism and disunity, and Paul addresses that. We fall into the same traps today. Legalism, you can't do this or license. I can do whatever I want to do, and neither of those are true. You are free to do as God has instructed you to do in the context of the book. What if the Holy Spirit leads me to another place? The Holy Spirit does not lead you to another place that is a place that the book doesn't describe. You follow me? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Again, this isn't an agenda, but there's a splintering and a fracturing of the church that is a very unhealthy thing, and the gospel suffers for it. Paul says in chapter 9, by way of an example, as an apostle, I've learned that I I must surrender my rights as an apostle for the unity of the body and for the sake of the gospel. In other words, he's saying you can't live so selfishly, so divided, and so tribally. You got to let some of these things go. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 23 and on, He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily should do it. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. He's talking about the testimony of God's people before unbelievers. I do not mean your conscience by this, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So listen, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Then he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So the same disunity, the same divisions, the same arguments, and those things that divide are brought to the celebration of the Lord's table, and that is of great offense. Because the remembrance of what Christ did for all of the saints in Corinth is tainted when all of those saints are claiming identity in something other than what the Lord did for them to bind them together. So even then, when they were coming together at the Lord's table, there was a selfishness. 
There was a, a division. There was a tribalism that took place, and those who had ate and those who didn't got, got nothing. And Paul said, listen, I can't commend you for any of this. But it's not just the table. It was a mindset from the beginning of the ministry, from chapter 1 and the divisions and the tribalism that existed in Corinth. As Paul lays out some, some, some worship principles in chapter 11 and chapter 12 and even onward, he is addressing the Lord's Supper, and he's saying, hey, listen, don't come to the house of the Lord to sit at the table. This is all about you, and there are divisions among you. We talk often as we gather together for worship that we're here to lift up Christ. It's probably fair to say that sometimes we bring in other agendas into the church. What we lift up isn't necessarily Christ, and this table of remembrance is to point us back to those things that matter most. He then goes on to talk about uh, spiritual gifts and using those gifts in the context of the local church. He talks about love in chapter 13 and 14, again, spiritual gifts, and then the capstone resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This was a fractured church, and there's no mistake of Paul under the guidance of the Holy Spirit rounding out his teachings of the church at Corinth, having pointed out all of their disunity and tribalism They say, hey, listen, this is about Christ crucified and risen to glory. That is the number one thing. He says in chapter 15, this is of first importance, how that Christ died according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again according to the Scripture. Everything after that, everything after that is less than that. It's the justification of faith by Christ alone and grace alone through the ministry of the Spirit for the glory of God. And as the church fractures today, we must find the sense of unity in the primary issues, level one issues of Scripture. We must find our sense of unity in our documents that bind us together. And when we come to this table, even when there are differences, and there will be, because we're people, we must find our identity and our purpose in worship in the person of Jesus Christ. So as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death till He comes. The gospel, the gospel is what helps us deal with disunity and disruption, some of the very things that Paul dealt with in Corinth. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that binds us together. When they were coming together to to be bound together under the gospel through the symbols of this table, they were still on different sides of the room and couldn't agree on anything. But Jesus Christ erases all of those differences. White, black, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. They can come to the table of unity because of Jesus Christ and nothing but the blood of Jesus political ideology, our own particular convictions, oh, that's fine. But this is what binds us together. It's the Scripture that gives us understanding and discernment for the things that divide us. And it is a reminder that we need to grow up under Christ in the Word for the glory of God. I find it interesting what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 after he talks about their division. He said, and when I came to you, brothers… 
I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what matters, Paul says. It doesn't mean that the rest doesn't. But when you start there, you're able to get the rest of it right. And Paul says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, because I knew there's a lot of tribalism and schism and division. And I wasn't sure I could unify you under the gospel. But I purposed to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified alone. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's power in the blood. There is power in the gospel. There is unity in the blood. There is unity in the gospel. And this table is to remind us of that message of first importance, just like it was reminding the church at Corinth. And when we come to that gospel in Christ alone, we are reminded that we have peace. Paul says that through that gospel in Christ alone, through His shed blood, through His broken body and atonement for sin, we have peace with God. We have been justified by faith. We were once enemies, and the moment of faith, we became the children of God. What an amazing gospel that is. Paul makes it very clear that for those who are washed in the blood and justified through the blood of Christ, there is peace. There's no longer an enmity between us and God. The Bible also speaks about a peace of God. John chapter 14, we studied this Wednesday night. Christ says He's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and grant peace. The Holy Spirit will come and lead them into truth. The Holy Spirit will come and, and give direction and understanding. Jesus does say, listen, this isn't going to be easy, and there's going to be this, this division that the world brings and, and provides for you. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be stirred. Don't be agitated. The unity that binds us together is in Christ alone, and we can have peace in our hearts that we know Him. We have everlasting life. And of course, Paul in Philippians talks about that, that peace of God that passes all understanding. Where does that come from? Thinking about whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. Thinking biblically about all these things that tend to divide. And as Paul sets that in order in the church at Corinth, I think there's much that we can gain. And if we live out what He has modeled, in fact, even dying to self, He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? We are one body in Christ alone, even though we're members in particular. We are all individuals. We all have a mind to think. We all have a selfish streak in us, but we are bought with a price, and it's the gospel that binds us together. One faith, one body, one Lord. As Paul says in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It does that through the gospel to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Even for the challenges? Yes. Even with the differences among us? Yes. Even when we're facing things that we'd rather not face? Yes. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your assemblies. Let the peace of God rule in the church of Jesus Christ. You are one body. Be thankful. And the implication is we are thankful to Christ and Christ alone, for that is the provision of our salvation. You didn't do that. He did. The unity of the body and the sanctity of the gospel and keeping the first thing the first thing is, in fact, the very hope of this world. So, Paul says to the believers at Corinth, your testimony is in jeopardy. He warns the churches in Galatia, you're biting and devouring each other. You're going to consume each other. You're losing your edge. The message of the gospel is being swallowed up. He calls them back to that unity of the gospel in Christ alone. It is the hope of the world. Now, granted, We live in tumultuous times, and it's hard to navigate all these different things that we face. The truth of the matter is we have a Word, a Word of God that gives us discernment as we navigate those things, and we have a Savior who is the Savior of the world, and everybody here who claims His name is identified as a Christ one, a child of the King, a work in progress for the glory of God. And we must find unity and a sense of purpose in that. So as Paul comes to this time, he, he calls upon these believers in Corinth to examine themselves. Really wise thing to do. Examine yourselves. Maybe in some ways he's encouraging them to examine their church as well. As I learned in this conference, most of those in attendance, over 10,000, would have very little difference in their understanding of the gospel. And yet, together, together for the gospel conference came to the end because there's a lot of trivial things that were creating divides and we were no longer together. That's exactly what Paul addresses here in Corinth. May it never be so. May we project a hope to this world that is in Christ, and it's a unifying hope, and it's always based on what Christ accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. See, the gospel has consequences, and the consequences are we die to self, and we live unto God through Jesus Christ. The gospel is of first importance. That's how Paul came to this text. And that's how he focuses upon this text, and then how he calls every individual as they come to this table to examine themselves and make sure they have the first thing as the first thing. And I encourage you to do that today as we gather together and come together for, for the remembrance of, of Jesus Christ and what He did for us. This doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything doesn't mean that uh, there's never ever going to be debate and discussion and even disagreement. What it does mean is that our faith begins and ends with Christ and Christ alone. And to embrace Christ is to embrace His truth and His Word, and it means we have to be distinctly biblical. 
We have to stand distinctly biblical on many of these issues that divide us today. And then there's some things we just got to shrug about a little bit. I don't like the taste of the wafer, Pastor Jim. Are you kidding me? How did we, how did we get here? We are Corinth. We're, we're Corinth, right? So when you come together to remember, when, when you come together be reminded that you are one body bound together through the blood of Jesus Christ to the glory of God forever and forever and forever. And that's why we come to the table. Father, I pray such an age of division and disunity Just even fracturing your church today. That we commit and find ourselves committed to that which is of first importance, to that which binds us together, to that which changes everything, to that which grants us peace, promise, and hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, and our hope of glory. Encourage us in this age as Paul challenged and encouraged the church at Corinth to keep it all straight and to be thankful that our Savior came into this earth to die for our sins, that we might become the children of God by faith alone. What a glorious gospel may it guide us in troubling days and times. And may it all be for your glory. Father, as we now take up this benevolence offering, we play a special blessing upon the Life Choices Center and the ministry that they do, such an important ministry in several locations in our area. As we set aside this offering to assist them in getting that gospel to people in desperate seasons, that you might use them to communicate the gospel of truth that changes everything. So bless us as we take this offering. May it be used for your glory. When all is said and done, may we know that which is of first importance, Christ crucified and full of glory. To Him we praise. To Him we sing. To Him we give all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.